All right, this morning's scripture reading is from Galatians 3, 4 through 9. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We're Lord. All right, what's going on? Yeah, you guys are totally dead. Um, so I don't, um, if, you, if you came here, um, hold on, I'm going to bail out of this and go back in. We're having, I guess, slide problems here. And boom. Um, so if you came here and you're like, oh, I'm going to go to church and hear a good Mother's Day sermon. You're not. I don't really do this. Um, I don't really go topical. Um, I kind of stay on, on schedule here. Um, actually, one year, uh, it just so lined up that the scripture we were studying, I think it was like three or four years ago, um, we, on Mother's Day, it just happened to be like the topic of Jezebel. And I got a lot of angry emails from there. I've been like, why would you talk about Jezebel on Mother's Day? I don't, it's the, not me. It's the Bible. It's not me. Um, doing, my, doing what I can. So, um, my name's Tommy. Uh, I'm the pastor here, believe it or not. Um, and we're going to study this passage. If you were listening last week, if you were either were listening to the podcast, um, first off, glad you listened. You should come, though. Um, but if you were here last week, uh, either way, you're all caught up on what, sort of what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to sort of have a continuation of this conversation we had um, about the altar, about the ancient idea of sacrifices. And um, we're going to move into exactly what Paul is talking about here today, the idea of, of Abraham, the part that he played. Um, and hopefully open our eyes a little bit to... Um, the message Paul had for the Galatian people and the one he has for you. So let's pray and then let's study this passage together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the breath in our lungs, for uh, the blood in our veins, for the ability to stand and, and, and walk and communicate and hear and speak and all of the things that we take for granted until they are gone. Thank you for all of the, all of the millions of gifts and the blessings that you have um, showered down upon us. And so we come here and we gather together to designate a specific time in our week to focus on um, the weightier, bigger, heavier things in life, the things of meaning and purpose, the things that, that transcend our everyday activities, but that should inform them and change them. And so we ask for your wisdom and your insights and your, your peace. We ask that you would surround us and make yourself present here. Make us aware of it. Make us aware of your love, that you are not against us, that you are with us, you are for us, and that you are pulling us into a new um, way of living. Thank you. In your name, amen. All right, so um, again, this was last week's, uh, we had last week's passage, and this is this week's passage. It, it sort of changes a little bit into this conversation of this guy named Abraham. First, he's talking about um, one thing in particular. He was talking about the altar. Now, um, so a little recap. Last week we talked about the sacrifice, the part that it played in the lives of the ancient people. If you were an ancient person about 
um, uh, 3,800 years ago or beyond, um, there was this sense that um, of, of, of who is in control, this question of asking who is in control. Why is it sometimes we get rain, sometimes we don't? Why is it sometimes a, d- a disease ravages our tribe and other times we're healthy? Who is in control of all of this and, and what this led to? The, the invention of, of gods, the gods of rain, the gods of sun, moon gods, the gods of, of um, fertility and, and the ocean and water and lightning. Even we mentioned Ninkasi, the ancient Sumerian goddess of beer, real thing. Um, and so there was all these gods that they believed that were out there and they were offering sacrifices to them to appease them um, because they believed that somehow they were angry and they needed to be made um, at peace with. None of these gods were personal. None of them communicated. They were just out there either blessing or hurling down death and destruction and pain upon them. And it came to a point where people are cutting themselves because you don't know how much to offer. When things are good, you, you should offer more to be thankful. When things are bad, you should offer more um, to pay the gods back for, and, and to appease them. And so you end up getting to a place where the gods of Baal are cutting themselves over the altar. Um, you have um, the, the ancient Aztec people offering their children as sacrifices to their gods. You have um, the Mayans um, beheading people and throwing them into pits at, to appease their gods. You have all these ancient terrible, terrible things um, because people had no idea um, how to be at peace with the divine creator of the universe. And they were desperate, which leads to the invention of the altar. And we had this conversation about the book of Leviticus, the groundbreaking, absolutely progressive book of Leviticus, as crazy as that sounds. Um, The book that tells you, hey, so you can approach the throne of God. God is personal. He wants to know you. And if you offer this sacrifice, you're appeased. God is at harmony and peace with you. No one had ever heard of anything like this. No one had ever thought of anything like this. This was brand new. And suddenly, people could, could know that their diseases weren't because of their sins, that their, um, their crops didn't grow, and it has nothing to do with their behavior before God, that God actually loved them and wanted to have a relationship with them. And not only that, when you did offer sacrifices as this God, you then set up a table and you shared in the consuming of these sacrifices with God, at the table with God. And so all of this comes about, um, and it starts really because of, of one man. His name is Abraham. Um, and we find the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Um, and so let's pick it up here. It says this. The Lord said to Abram, it, it says Abram here, later on it becomes Abraham. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and jump the ship and shark, jump the shark, jump, I don't know. We're going to call him Abraham, whatever. Um, I'm a professional speaker. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> Uh, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him. So the Lord comes to Abraham and says, hey, I'm not against you, I'm for you. I want to bless you. And I want to bless everyone. And I want to do it through you. I want to know you. I want to be a part of, of, of a relationship with you and all people around you. And so God calls him and tells him, uh, you're going to leave your God. You're going to leave your father's house. Now, um, so this is pretty fascinating. Um, he says you're going to leave your, 
your father's house. What this meant was, now, uh, Abraham was not an Israelite. We tend, to, we tend to read the scriptures and we go back and we think, well, Abraham was, he already knew Yahweh. He already knew God. So when God called him and said, hey, uh, come with me, I'm going to lead you out here to do something different, we assume he recognized the voice, knew who it was, and followed him. But the fact is, uh, Abraham was, uh, from what we know, he was Sumerian. From what we know, um, he had no history with Yahweh. From what we know, he grew up in the Sumerian culture, worshiping the pagan idols of the Sumerians. Um, Now, this is a big deal because God says, I want you to leave your father's house and I want you to go to the place I will tell you. And in the ancient world, it was a tribal culture. You did not leave your tribe if you did. If you left, he's not just saying, um, you're not going to, you're not going to live in your old bedroom in your parents' house. You're going to move down the street. He's, that's not what father's house means. Um, he means the traditions of your father's. Uh, he means all of their gods, all of the ways that they looked at the world, all of their creation stories, all of the things that they hold to and they believe, the sacrifices they make, the gods they worship, all the local gods over their city. You're going to leave all of that and you're going to go somewhere else. You're going to set out into the wilderness with me. Um, this is an incredibly dangerous and difficult and crazy thing to do. Everything you know about the world, you know in your tribe. Most people were, lived, were born and, and grew up and lived and died in like a 10-mile radius and never ventured outside because you had a relationship already with your whatever gods of your city. Um, and if you were to leave your city, you're venturing out into the wilderness, you, have, you run a very high risk of either being murdered, robbed and murdered, or made into a slave. Um, other tribes are probably not going to accept you. Um, and there's also these other gods that you believe are there, and the que- you have questions about, is that God going to accept me and my sacrifices? Are my gods going to be really, really angry with me that I left my place? Because the gods didn't travel. They were stationary to their people. Um, and so there's a lot going on here. From what we know, Abraham has zero history with Yahweh. Didn't know. Didn't know anything about him. He doesn't appear whatsoever to know anything. Um, He's not a follower of the Lord. He's, he's again, worshiping the Sumerian gods. And so he's not this really super holy guy um, who we talk, I mean, who who just hears hears God's voice and says, well, as a good follower of Yahweh, I'm going to follow into the desert. No. Um, He doesn't. Now, this is really important, actually, because who Abraham was... um, it doesn't make a lot of sense that God would even want him or call him at all. And so God goes in and and calls this guy Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. I want you to follow me. I want to know you. I'm going to lead you to this new place. Now, why is this important? Why is Paul telling them, reminding them of Abraham? Because it's really important to the Galatians. I I want to read to you today's passage again. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of God. Now, why is this important for Paul to mention Abraham to this first century church? Um, It's really, really important because there was these people coming in that Paul calls the Judaizers into their little gathering and they were the descendants of Abraham. They were um, these people who were high and mighty. Um, They were well-known. They were sort of of rich blood, if you will. Because in those days, it was, it was this identity thing you had where you believed you were better than everyone else because you descended directly from this guy, Abraham, right? And so here we are, um, and, and Paul writes to them and says, 
Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So, so, so Paul actually writes to them and says, hey, um, they're not better, better than you because they were, they were born into the line of Abraham. That does not make them more righteous. It does not make them more holy. And in fact, um, you're more like Abraham and you're, and you're more worthy of being called the sons of Abraham if you believe and follow God the way that Abraham did. And this was huge for them because they didn't have, you know, of course they're looking up to the, these Judaizers, as Paul calls them. Um, they're looking up to these people and they're trying to obviously impress them. Uh, they're trying to cut their hair the way that they did. They're trying to dress the way that they did, offer the same tithes and alms the way that they did. Um, and even going so far as to mutilate their own flesh to be like them. And Paul writes to them and says, that's not what makes you children of Abraham. That's not what makes you righteous in the eyes of God. It has to do with the inside. Um, and he says that Abraham believed. Now, the word, the word there for believe is, is a pretty good word. It's called pistuo. And it basically means to think to be true. It's not this, oh, there it is. I'm in. It's this, I'm, from what I can tell from looking around me, none of this is making sense. Nothing in my world seems to really do any good and seems to really satisfy. Um, and I, I've seen something different, and I think it's real, and I think it's true, and I'm going to head out this way and follow it. It's not this absolute certainty. Faith is not certainty. Absolute, actually, the faith is the opposite of certainty. We, we tend to think the opposite of faith is doubt. It's not. It's certainty. And so he, un, unsettled, dissatisfied with what he sees in the world... He hears the voice of God and he sets out by faith. He believes. It wasn't that he lived right. It wasn't that he was a good person and God reached out and called him and made him his own. It had nothing to do with that. God spoke and he heard the voice of God and he followed. So the question of why did Abraham go is a big one. Uh, this is a question that has been asked uh, tons and tons of times throughout history. Um, and it's a fascinating question, and it's such a fascinating question that the ancient um, rabbis have, have written tons and tons uh, of books about, and, and writings, and paragraphs, and pages and pages about why they think Abraham left. And it's come to the point where we can look back through history, and we have all these legends that they wrote, stories that they wrote about um, Abraham's childhood. Um, a lot of, if you, there's, there's, there's a lot of people, rabbis and stuff, that, that, he, that say that some of these legends are believed to be true, that they're found way back um, in history a long ways. I have no idea, but I think they're fascinating, and I read them because the conversation is incredibly fascinating about how the people um, talk about Abraham and why he heard the voice of God and left the way that he did. Um, and so Abraham is at home. He's at, this, is, this would be um, the excavation of an ancient um, Sumerian home. And Abraham is there. And so let me read you some of these, um, some of these ancient legends. Uh, one of them goes like this. Abraham uh, saw many flocks and herds um, out in the fields. And he says to his mother, um, who is the Lord of these? And she answers, your father, Terah, is the Lord of these. And who is the Lord of Terah? Young Abraham asked. Nimrod, said his mother. And who is the Lord of Nimrod? Asked Abraham. His mother told him to be quiet and not to push the questions too far. But Abraham, Abraham's thoughts were reaching out to the one who is the God of all. And so the first legend we find actually has Abraham asking a lot of questions. 
dissatisfied with what he sees. And he hears the voice of God, and, and, and the voice of God says, hey, I want you to leave your father's house, and I want you to come with me, and I'm going to bless you. I'm not against you. I want a relationship with you. I want to work with you. I want you to join me in what we're doing here. Um, the idea of, of father's house. I think this is a fascinating idea. Um, a, a lot of us come to a point where we are living in our own sort of personal world and we look around and we can see this is not okay. Uh, sometimes it, it takes the form of addiction and you have this belief that you have to medicate and you're constantly trying to medicate in, instead of actually changing something, instead of confronting things, instead of looking at things differently, um, we get into these cycles and at one point um, the Spirit of God comes to you and says, hey, we're going to leave your father's house. He's not, he's not at all talking about a literal house of, the, of, of your father. He's talking about your worldview, how you look at things. There's a lot of people who are completely dissatisfied with the life that they build, yet they keep on building and building and building and striving and striving and striving to build. And at some point, God calls out to them and says, hey, it's time to leave your father's house and come with me. Stop trying to earn this. Stop trying to find happiness in it. Receive my gifts, receive my blessings, receive my grace. Um, sometimes it takes the form of the deconstruction of your faith. You were born into a system and a way of looking at the world and a way of looking at God that no longer works for you and is actually holding you back and is actually keeping you from fully stepping into what God has for you. And God is calling out to you and saying, hey, it's time for you to leave your father's house and come with me. You look around, you're not happy with the sacrifices being offered. You're not happy with who they've made their gods. You're not happy with any of it. And God is calling you to move forward. This is what God does. He's pulling you to the next thing. And it's okay. It's okay. There's, a, there's actually a really great book um, by a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud. It's called Necessary Endings. It's about seasons in your life and how they come to an end. And how what you had was really good for you at that time, possibly. But at some point, that season changes and ends. And it's about moving forward. Um, if you feel like that's you, maybe that'd be a good resource for you. Necessary endings. Um, read it. And so th- there's this other legend uh, that kind of goes like this. Um, the legends go on to tell Terah, the, the father of Abraham, um, that Terah not only worshipped 12 idols, one for each month, but he also was a manufacturer of idols. And one day, Abraham was left in charge of the shop, and people are coming in to buy idols. And he made this habit of, when his father wasn't around, asking them, hey, how old are you? Um, and, you know, 40, 50, whatever, they would say their age. Um, and, and then he would ask them a question. Uh, he would ask them how old they were, and they would answer perhaps 40 or 50 years of age, and he said, woe to a man of such an age who adores the work of one day. He says, look at yourself. You, you have been being created for the last 50 years, and you're bowing down to this temporal thing that was just created. So many of us do this on a daily basis. Um, and then there's another one. It, it talks about a strong man, a strong and fit man of 70 years old came in and asked, uh, Abraham asked him his age. And he looks at him and he says, you fool to adore a God who is younger than yourself. 
And then it talks about a woman who came in with a dish of food for the idols. He had them all set up in a room. And she puts this dish of food, of meat, in the middle of the room to ask for whatever. This is a sacrifice to the gods. There's something that she needs. Maybe she's sick. Maybe someone in her family is sick or dying. Or maybe her business is not going well. Whatever it is, she needs some kind of providence. And so she lays this meat down in the middle of the room of idols and she leaves. And, And as the story goes, Abraham comes in. He takes a stick and he smashes all the idols except for the biggest one. And then he puts the stick in the hands of the really big idol. Um, and then he just kind of stands back and the meat's in the middle of the room. And his father, Tara, walks in. And his, <laughs> and his father um, and, and his father says, what is this? What happened to all my idols? And, and Abraham says this. He says, um, my father, a, a woman brought a dish of meat for your gods and they all wanted to have it. And the strongest knocked the heads off all the rest in case they should eat it all. And his father looks at him and says, that's impossible, for they are made of wood and stone. And Abraham looks at him and says, let your ear hear what your own mouth has spoken. And so the writings of the ancient rabbis about Abraham are fascinating. They saw him as someone who saw through it all. Someone who knew that there was something bigger on the other side. Someone who didn't think um, that the divine creator of the universe was angry and wanted to destroy them. But in fact, he wanted something absolutely different. And they paint him as an an antagonizing sort of person who thought differently. And so the call of God comes, and he's like, finally, let's go. And he's out. Um, There comes a moment where you kind of, um, you're done with it, right? You're done with living the way that you're living. And the next thing comes and God shows you something and you're like, there it is. I have to go. And it's one of the most healthiest, one of the most healthy things that you can do. And so, this is sort of the the conversation that has been going on, leaving your father's house. Um, Oftentimes, what you left kind of stays with you. And it will keep popping up. And it's going to be a, maybe a battle for the rest of your life. There's one passage in particular in Genesis 22 where it pops back up for Abraham. And it goes like this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Um, by the way, this is probably about a few decades later. So we're, we're a long ways into this thing. Um, and he says to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And the story goes on to talk about how he packs up all of his stuff and travels with his son up the mountain. He builds an altar, and his son's asking him, Where is the sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And he takes his son and he ties him up and he lays him on the altar and he gets a knife. And he's getting ready to kill his own son to sacrifice him for the gods. Now, all through scriptures, um, Abraham is spoken about as a good man. And in fact, all three sort of Abrahamic religions, if you will, um, all say that Abraham was a good man. Christians, I, I, I always had conversations about Abraham, a a great man of God. Now, this is one of the passages that skeptics use to say, that's insane. He was not a good man. And they say things like, 
a good man would never sacrifice his son to appease a god. He would never do what a god says when a god says to do something like this. A good person would never do that. And again, we have some chronological arrogance going on. Um, There's some things I want to point out to you. Um, First off, Abraham doesn't seem to have any questions, does he? How many times had God told them to build an altar and make sacrifices so far? Zero. How many books about how to build a sacrifice, like the book of Leviticus or whatever, did they have? Zero. And God says, hey, sacrifice your son. He knows exactly what to do. He knows, build an altar. You're going to tie up the sacrifice. You're going to cut the wood. You're going to do certain prayers. You're going to lay your son on the block, and you're going to sacrifice him. Where did Abraham learn this? I would argue he learned it in his father's house. This is the only possible place he would have learned this from. He instantly goes into autopilot. He knows how to offer sacrifices. He doesn't have any questions about it. This is not a brand new thing to him. He was raised in this. He's seen this over and over and over and over again. Another thing that I want to point out is that he doesn't argue. He doesn't say, I've got a really nice pony over here. He doesn't do that. He fully expects God to ask him to give the thing that he loves more than anything. By the way, where it says, where he says, it says in this passage, it says, take your son whom you love. That is the very first mention in all the scriptures of love. It's a fascinating story to mention it too. And he says, take your son whom you love and you're going to sacrifice him to me. He has no qualms um, that, yes, that's exactly what the gods would ask for. Of course. Of course they would. The thing that is absolutely most important to you, they are in charge, and they will ask for it, and I will give it. He is well-groomed in understanding this command. He, he was raised here. And so he's in the middle of, of laying his son on the sacrifice, uh, his son as a sacrifice on the altar, and he has the knife, and he raises it, And here's what we see. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, this is a pretty big deal. God tells him to do something. He instantly goes into autopilot. He goes right back into his old ways. And it reveals part of him that, under, that, that sort of awakens him up to see, yes, this is, first off, he understands, yes, this is the most high God, and obviously this is what they offer. Um, but, but he hasn't fully grasped that God is different than he thought he was. And all of this culminates into a brand new teaching, this awakening moment that what God asks for, he also provides. There is nothing from you, nothing for you to do. Everything that God requires of you, he has given you. This is exactly why Paul needs the Galatians to understand the story of Abraham. This is exactly what they need to know. Because Paul actually says, 
this is the gospel, that it has been provided for you, that that is your sacrifice. Look, what, look how Paul says it. Paul says this, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we have here, he says, this, first off, the scriptures, I mean, he's using the term loosely, I guess, because the, there was no scriptures at this point in time when Abraham was there. But he says, the scriptures preach the gospel to Abraham. Because the word of the Lord is not a book. It's Jesus. It's God. This is the scriptures, the message of God. And he says that foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So what Abraham is doing on this mountain is understanding the gospel. Understanding the gospel. Everything God wants from me, he has provided. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. There is no reason for you to wake up in the morning and try to please this angry God, if you will, that that maybe you were raised thinking was there. There is no reason for you to wake up and be terrified that God's going to be angry and smite you in some way. Because everything that God requires of you, he has provided. More than that, um, Abraham takes the ram and he sacrifices it. And what did you do after after this offering? Well, you took part. So God says, no, no, don't, don't, don't put your junk on my altar. I have something that I've already provided, and it's a sacrifice. And, and offer the sacrifice, and then we will gather at the table, and, and you will eat. Not only will you not bring anything, but I will feed you. This is grace at its deepest, absolute deepest level. This is the message of the gospel. And the fascinating thing is, this is looking forward to something else, because about a thousand years later, A man named Jesus carried his cross up into that same mountain range and died on the cross. And every week we gather around the table and instead of bringing, we receive. Everything God has asked from you, he has provided. There are these awakening moments um, in, in, in the life of the biblical characters. Um, Abraham's was the altar. This was this awakening moment where he understands. He just fully, in the back of his mind, he's always, yeah, he understands sort of the gospel, if you will, and, and it, like, like we sort of all claim that we do. But in the back of his mind, there's still this, this, I'm just waiting for it, for God to make his demand. No, the demand has been, has been met. But in the back of his mind, he's, he's, He's always just sort of waiting for the angry God to smite him for everything that he has done wrong. And then there's suddenly this, finally, this awakening moment. And he names an entire mountain range. This is where God, this is where I understand now. The Lord provides. The Lord provides. I don't provide. It's not about me. The Lord provides. Um, this awakening moment happens over and over and over again in scriptures. You can see it in the eyes of so many people. You see it in, in Paul. You even see it at the very beginning in the stories of Adam and Eve where they're trying to make their own clothes to cover up their own nakedness and God says, it's not going to work. And he takes an animal and sacrifices it and he covers them in the flesh of a sacrificed lamb. I mean, it's all just there over and over and over. The scriptures are telling you there's nothing to do. It's been done. My love for you is incredibly deep. 
over and over and over again, he's telling us this. Now, this awakening moment is, is really important. I, I, one of my goals as a pastor is to bring you to this place, to this awakening moment where you understand there's nothing to do with you. And indeed, in fact, your good deeds are a response to the realization that it's all been done. That the divine creator of the universe has nothing but love and passion for you instead of anger and wrath and vengeance. Um, sometimes this awakening moment will happen over and over and over. Sometimes there's this huge event that awakens you. Um, I can look back at my life and I can see times where I've been awakened to this idea of grace. And the impact that it has on my life is, is always profound. There was a time not too long ago where I came to the conclusion that when I die, I, I don't want to leave any enemies in this world. That there's no reason to. That what God has done for me and the grace he's bestowed upon me has, um, has not sunk deep enough to the place where I can pass it on to other people. Um, because there's people who... Um, so there was someone who hurt me incredibly bad. They just What they did to me was absolutely devastating. And I came to a point where every time I thought of them, there was just this anger and this bitterness and this thought that, well, things could be made right if they would just do this and this and this. This is all they need to do. They need to do these things and we'll be good. And what I was doing there, I was, I was building an altar and saying, here's the sacrifices I demand from them to appease me. I'm putting myself in the place of God and I'm holding back my love and my grace until they meet my demands. The absolute opposite of the gospel. Absolute opposite. And I know that as long as I carry this and I have these demands and I'm connected to them in this sort of bitter way, I'm enslaved to them. And I just kind of want to be free. I just kind of want to move on. And I just kind of want to let them know, hey, uh, you don't know anything. And so forgiveness, the, the forgiveness that we receive from God and the forgiveness that we give to each other, the definition is the same. Canceling the debt. And so I reached out and I told him, hey, God, I, I, I didn't point out anything that they had done. I reached out and I said, hey, God's been working on me. I can't even sleep at night. And I said, I want you to know that you don't owe me anything. That it's Okay. It's over. It's done. I want to be at peace and harmony with you. It was incredibly hard. And it's, it's sort of like a little tiny, tiny, tiny glimpse of what it means when Jesus took his, our sins upon himself. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, I'm just a little taste of it right there. And you know what? When I see them in public now, because Tampa's not a big city, I imagine there's a lot of you that see somebody and you're, and you're, you're ducking into a Spencer's Gifts, which you, you would never go in there unless that person showed up. Right? Um, and you're just hiding. And how long are you going to carry this? How long? You have these altars and, and you have maybe 20, 30 of them and you're waiting for all these people to lay down that thing on that altar to appease the God of you. And I want to remind you of what God did for you. Everything that God has required of you, he also provided. And so I learned that making amends, it's not about telling them that what they did was okay. It's not even about mentioning anything that has nothing to do with them. 
It has to do with me, telling them, look, God has forgiven me. I didn't deserve it. He called me when we didn't have a history. I was just a nobody worshiping these false gods, and, and hey, he called me and pulled me to himself, and here I am. And so I reach out to them, and I say, hey, you don't owe me anything. We're good. We're done. I'm free. I'm moving on. And we live in an incredibly primitive world. We live in a world where, where girls cut themselves and bleed so that they can feel good, so they can get release. How primitive is that? I mean, the gospel is incredibly progressive. We live in a world where fathers are out working and working and working and working to build some sort of empire or whatever to, get the, the, to impress other men and, and to hear, hey, you're worthy, you're good, um, you deserve everything, to hear that they're worthy of it. How primitive. It is ancient Sumerian Babylonian culture. We live in a world where um, girls live their lives to somehow earn the favor of their fathers. And when they don't get it, they work harder and harder and harder. And even long after their fathers are dead and gone, these women are still growing and, 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 and working to earn their father's approval. How primitive. We make people pay for the crimes that they've committed with decades of their life being locked in these rooms. I don't have a solution other than the gospel. The kingdom of God says, well, this is where this is heading. We're heading to a place where love is the rule and grace is the law. Yes. And it's going to be different, right? Um, how primitive a world we live in. And for you to tell people, you do all this stuff and we're good. How primitive. No different than the ancient sacrifices that happened in these ancient temples. And God has given us the gospel and called us to move past it. And so we should. Not only has he provided the sacrifice, he then invites us to sit at the table and to be filled and to eat. And we find lightness of heart. And so our communion servers, this is the only way to respond is communion. Communion servers, I want you guys to go ahead and take the elements and kind of spread around the room. Um, and uh, we're going to spend some time contemplating this and, and the weight of it. And so uh, if, if there's something you need to speak to the Lord about, it just... Take your time, talk to him, try to get right, um, confess, be honest, and then come on, take a piece of bread, dip it in the wine and eat it. And uh, let's let the gospel do its work, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything that you do for us, for who you are. Change us. Bring us past this primitive world that we've been living in. Don't let us take part in it anymore. Free us with your grace. It's a heavy burden that we bear, and we put it upon ourselves. Set us free. We love you, Father. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.